Hi, everybody. Welcome to the United Squid Podcast. My name is Cyrus, and we have a lot to talk about today. Of course, you all know by now that the movie Parasite won this year's Academy Award for Best Picture. That's correct. That is the Oscar that it took home, which is amazing because Parasite is a foreign film from Korea, South Korea to be exact. It would be kind of strange if it was from North Korea. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe not everybody's heard about this because this year's Oscars were some of the lowest rated in history. I think it might have even been the lowest ratings that the Oscars has ever pulled in. But I do want to talk about the movie Parasite. So before we begin, I just want to say I do not hate this movie, and I'm very proud of the director. I'm very proud of everyone who worked on this film. I think it's a great accomplishment what they've done with it. And I also want to say that I understand why it won the Oscar. This isn't one of those times when I just hear that a movie won and I'm like, what? You know, like, for example, last year there was a movie that won. I think I, I already forgot the name of the film. I think it was called something like The Green Book. And I'll just say I did not feel that that movie deserved the Oscar. And I, I feel like a lot of movies that got nominated last year didn't even deserve to be <laughs> nominated. So I will give credit where it's due. This year's nominations were really strong. And uh, I think all of them deserved to be nominated. Now, me personally, I did prefer The Joker much, much more than Parasite. I thought both Parasite and The Joker were trying to tell a very similar story. At least it had a similar message. Uh, but, you know, totally different in totally different ways. Um, I just felt like overall Joker was more polished and a more more complete product, I guess you could say, as, as far as a form of entertainment goes. And then that doesn't mean that it was perfect. I thought that the Joker did have moments that were overly cliche. You know, when, when he's writing notes to himself in his diary, some of those times when the camera like zooms in on that stuff, I thought was a little over the top, you know, kind of eye roll inducing. And, you know, it, it, it did have some paint by numbers moments, you know, where it was just really, um, like I said, kind of predictable and very cliche. But overall, I think it did what it what it set out to do very well. And it did make you think about things. Um, you know, it did call attention to things that that as a society, I think we do need to start to focus on. And it was very well, well, well acted. So Parasite, on the other hand, here's the thing. It's one of those movies where I don't think it's fair to tell people like, oh, this is bad. Don't watch it. I kind of feel like it's one of those movies that I didn't like, but I feel like you should watch it at least once in a weird way. And I can I can understand why it won the Oscar, because this is a filmmaker's film. If you speak the language of film, if you're into that world, you know, up to your eyeballs, uh, this film film Parasite makes a lot of really interesting symbolic choices that you'll want to watch it again and again just to catch all the little details and it's it's in a weird way it's kind of like a David Lynch movie where it it does kind of have this fine art aspect to it you know where it's more than just a a entertainment product in a way at least it feels that way and you do want to like analyze it and get deep into it so as a filmmaker's film as as something that was nominated nominated for an Academy Award by people who work in that industry, I think it makes sense for it to take home the Oscar. That said, for me personally, I'm more... I, I like to think that I, I have a bit more of a balanced view 
I do appreciate the art of film. I've studied it before. You know, I've worked a lot in animation, graphic design, things of that nature. So there are aspects of that that I can appreciate. But also as a, not just as a creator, but as a consumer of stories, uh, and as someone who likes to be entertained, I was disappointed with the film, you know, uh, from that aspect. And I feel like the best films are able to mesh both worlds together and and make it work. I didn't feel like Parasite in the end really made it work for me. Part of the reasoning for that is because it's it's it is essentially a message movie. But at some point in the film, I feel like the message overtakes the narrative. Like the the best message movies to me are the ones where it's kind of subdued, it's kind of like intertwined with the story, but it's not you're not beaten over the head with the message. And this is a message I actually agree with in this movie. These are very serious um, topics that it's covering, you know, such as the the divide and the ever-growing divide between the rich and the poor and the, the class divide between the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class. And I actually do like the way that it made me think about those issues. And I, I kind of see where, where it was going. But like I said, even though I agree with the message, when that message hijacks what I thought was a really interesting story. I mean, just take away all those class issues and all of that. Just the core of the movie, the concept that it's built on was really interesting. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. But this idea of like this Paris, well, it's kind of funny because you kind of have to make up your own mind as to who the real parasite is in the film. Um, But, you know, this idea of a family that kind of ingratiates themselves within another family and starts to you know um, make certain moves and and have certain strategies to kind of hollow out this other family and 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 kind of move in to their life that was really fun to watch you know it was kind of a comedy kind of uh i don't know if i'd say drama but just like a maybe a thriller or it's just it's just very interesting for the first act and even into the second act. But there's a point in the movie where, you know, and it, it took quite a lot of twists and turns. Nothing, I didn't think any of the twists were like crazy, but it did remind me of like a Junji Ito book, like a little horror aspect where it just takes this slightly unexpected turn. And you're like, Ooh, that was an interesting choice. But there are movies and stories Look, as an author, I've also had these issues where you create this interesting concept. You have a great beginning, a decent middle, but you just don't know how to wrap it up. And I felt like that happened with this movie. Uh, I felt like the execution towards the end got a little messy. And I felt like it didn't do its message any favors. Like it did a disservice to the message that it was trying to send. You know, and I know there's going to be people out there saying you don't get it, you just didn't understand. I I feel like I understand, you know, and, and I do appreciate the movie for for at least having enough, I guess you could say, variables going on that you could take several different messages away from it depending on who you are, which I think is awesome. I'm just saying, as a story, the plot to me fell apart in the end, and it kind of devolved into just kind of idiotic. <laughs> a kind of idiotic ending. Um, I was hoping for 
you know, some people are, are, are boasting about how well this movie balanced, you know, the mainstream and the kind of indie side of films. I didn't think it balanced them well enough. I thought, I thought it did in the beginning because it always did have this kind of underground kind of we shouldn't be watching this kind of naughty feeling to it where it's like ooh they've they've you know I love it when films find a way to bring that kind of flavor and make it work in the mainstream and I will say I agree it it was making it work again for the first hour maybe you know maybe hour and a half. I don't know if it was hour and a half but at least for the first act and a half it was it was balancing things well. But like I said, it kind of falls apart in the end. I felt like the the uninhibited indie style, a bit sloppy, dare I say, um, style started to seep through in the end, which was a little disappointing. That's all I'm going to say. I was disappointed. But I'm not going to sit here and say that it didn't deserve the Oscar. Uh, I Again, I preferred the Joker, um, but... Knowing what the Academy is like, knowing what they're looking for in a film, it's it was definitely a reasonable choice with just enough danger to it to make it interesting to go with Parasite. Now I'm gonna what I, what would really make people angry is if I told you my thoughts on uh, I think the movie's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. I'm just gonna say this right here and now. I used to be the biggest Tarantino fan. Um, I think the the last Tarantino movie that I loved was Inglorious Bastards. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that, but I really liked Inglorious Bastards. And uh, of course, Pulp Fiction, the Mr. Pink, and all that. Oh, I forgot R- Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was awesome. Even Jackie Brown. You know, uh, there were a lot of great Tarantino films. Um, but I feel like around the time of Django, Django was good. But it was a little, I thought, over, overbloated. And then definitely that movie. I have now, the name's escaping me. The one with like all those people in a cabin. The Deadly Eight or whatever. Whatever that movie. I did watch it. What was that movie called? The Sinful Eight? I don't recall. <laughs> I don't remember. I just say, it was like a, it was like the whole movie was set inside a cabin. It was like this western. And that movie was just awful as far as i was concerned you know django was good it wasn't awful i just thought it had some fat that could be trimmed off it to make it a little more lean but the next one he did the hateful eight or whatever it was called that one was just trash for me and then once upon a time in hollywood it it was somewhere in the middle it wasn't outright trash but I definitely don't think it deserved. It deserved to be nominated. I just, I'm glad it didn't win. <laughs> um, I thought it had moments that were cool, but I, I don't know. It's just, I like that Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, one of the things that they did great was that they told a story, but it was like in an unconventional way. Like we just kind of tell it out of order, but it still makes sense in the end. And there is still kind of this narrative structure there. I just didn't feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had that strong of a of a spine holding everything up. It was just more of a collection of interesting scenes that were well acted again, but and well written, but not not his best writing. But they were they were well written, but just you know, I'm all about the story. <laughs> I guess I, I I like the story. That's where the Joker. 
although it was a bit cliche at times, I, it did stick more closely to a very structured narrative that I appreciate. I, I, I don't like, I, I like a more balanced mix where you have the plot and then you have all this wacky stuff going on, you know, that you kind of decorate the plot with the dialogue and the interesting characters and the acting. But if you just give me the interesting characters and the acting and the dialogue, but no, no real linear story to kind of follow along, I, I, I lose a bit of interest, uh, you know, in the end. But anyway, now that I've made everybody angry, I've made the Parasite fans angry. <laughs> I've made the Quintarantino fans angry. Uh, I think I've done enough damage for one day. I want to talk about this really cool story that I've been seeing making the rounds. You can look it up there at unitedsquid.com. It's about this Korean woman who used v uh, VR to reunite with her deceased daughter. And I've been having all sorts of debates with people over this because a lot of my friends, my wife, many people who I've talked to are saying that they don't feel like this is healthy for the woman. Um, basically what happened was the woman's daughter, I think the daughter was seven years old. Um, she died a few years ago, you know, roughly three years ago. And so the daughter died, her, you know, this young, this young child, little girl. And now three years later, this VR production company offered to recreate her daughter, you know, a replica of the girl. And, you know, they used like a very photorealistic 3D model of her. Uh, they used, you know, her actual audio samples to create the voice. Uh, they analyzed footage of her to get the movements down right, you know, in the animation. So it is a very realistic VR three-dimensional model of her actual daughter who died. And they, you know, put the VR goggles basically on the mom the VR headset, I guess I should say, and they basically let her reunite with the daughter, and the daughter comes out and says, you know, hi, mom, I missed you, did you miss me, and it, look, is it emotional? Yes, especially if you understand Korean. My wife still cries. I don't even have to show her the video. I just play it. My wife understands uh, some enough Korean that she can understand, you know, what the seven-year-old girl is saying. And she just breaks down every time I play this video. Um, I came very, very close to breaking down. I wouldn't be surprised if a, a lot of people who watch it, you know, end up in tears. <laughs> it, it, it's a very powerful video. I'll say that. And, uh, you know, the mom, obviously, she's, oh, now that I'm thinking about it, it is so sad. She's reaching out. She's You can see her, you know, when you're looking at her on this stage where she's wearing the headset, you don't see what she sees. So you just see her reaching out and you can see her hands trembling and she's just trying to touch her daughter. And then it goes in, you can actually see from her point of view what, what she's looking at and you can see she's touching the daughter's face and you know she's in tears. And then they go to this table and the daughter, I guess it's on her birthday because she's asking the mom to put a candle on a birthday cake and it's and she's like, oh, I'm going to make a wish, mom. I wish that you, you'll always be happy and you can, you know, um, you won't cry. And, oh, it, it's it's powerful stuff. And it's not going to lie. Uh, it's a bit creepy. Let's be honest. I think it's a bit creepy. <laughs> um, they might have went a little too far with this one. You know, some of the things the girl says, I, I was thinking, oh, come on. Would a seven-year-old really say that? You're just trying to 
to make this poor woman cry even harder than she was going to cry anyway. <clears throat> so I feel sorry for the woman, obviously, just for the fact that she, you know, her daughter died. But um, there are people saying that they feel like this is not good for the mom's mental health. And they think that this could be more harmful in the long run. Here's the thing. My thought process on this is, first of all, for this individual case with this woman and in this situation, I think it's fine. I think individually, if more people do this kind of thing, it's probably fine on an individual level. I do have concerns over the way it will make us look at ourselves in comparison to technology. Because it does put the VR in a way almost on equal footing with the actual person. And I don't, I don't know if that's a good mindset to be in for a society, um, you know, because those two things are not equal. The VR can never replace that person. And I'm not saying that this mom feels that way. I don't think she does. I think, you know, she's a wonderful woman. She said she did this because she just wanted to um, not only experience it for herself, but to just as a way to comfort other people who've lost loved ones, you know, to show them, you know, um, the, some solidarity. So, I think she's a great person. <clears throat> I'm just—I'm not saying that she thinks that this is really her daughter. I don't know. I'm just saying I could see that being a bit of an issue. I, I wouldn't want us to get in that mindset as a society where we feel like these two things are interchangeable. Um, that said, I don't think it's that bad because here's the deal. We already have photographs. We've had photographs for a long time of our loved ones who've passed away, of our ancestors, we also now have video. We've had video for quite a while as well now, many decades, where you can look up videos of your, you know, your parents or your loved ones who've passed on. You know, um, we have obviously. I've heard stories of people who listen over and over again to to like the last voicemail that their son sent them or their wife sent them. Um, so we have the 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 audio record of our loved ones. We have audio video photographs we people look at the the diaries of their deceased ones um sometimes you know if if you have one some people like to look back on the diary look do i think you need to live in the past all the time and you know do i think that's healthy no but it's not a crime it's not i don't think it's harmful to keep a photo of loved ones who've passed on you know in your wallet or on your phone I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad thing to occasionally uh, reflect on videos of the people you loved who are no longer here, and to me this is more or less an extension of that. You know, it's a. I mean, again, imagine if like a hundred years ago people were saying, "Oh, you shouldn't keep that photo. It's gonna be you know you're not gonna move on," or "Oh, that's bad luck," or whatever. Or if people said, "Hey, turn off that that." that video, you know, delete those files of your, of your, um, of your dad, those videos, you should just delete those, <laughs> those videos because that you're not moving on. Obviously, if you're having a problem where it's so, you have this crippling pain where you're debilitated to the point that you can't work, you can't get up and, and function and live properly. Yeah, that's a problem. You should look into fixing that. I think you should maybe seek out therapy if, if it's been that much of an issue for you. But for the average person, I mean, if you just, if you just, you know, put on the headsets, you know, once a year on their birthday, just to reminisce about the past and kind of 
try to capture that feeling. Even I know it's not the same, but you know, just out of respect for the person, I think that's fine to keep their memory alive. And for me, I'm a very selfish person. If I pass on, I want there to be a VR version of me, and I want my family and loved one to have that VR <laughs> version of me somewhere in the house, and you need to talk to that VR version at least once a year. Bring it out for Christmas. <laughs> I'm selfish, man. I don't want people to forget about me. Um, now, again, I don't want my family to... If it was between, If it's between my family moving on and having a happy life or just like, you know becoming stagnant and not moving forward and, and falling into deep depressions because they miss me by all means if it's between those two extremes please move on don't don't let me ruin your day <laughs> don't 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 let me hold you back I, I wouldn't want that for you i'm just saying in a normal circumstance in moderation yeah you know light a candle for me put the vr on who you know once in a while just once in a while doesn't doesn't need to be every day you don't need to shrine it for me just uh you know, occasionally. Eventually, after enough years have passed, maybe just once a decade, you can blow the dust off of it and, and you know, put it on for old time's sake, like an old record. <laughs> you know, why not? So, uh, I, I see the point. I see the concerns that people have. I just, I just feel like there's, I feel, I feel like there's more positives out of this, potentially, for the future than negatives. For this specific aspect of uh vr and its usage um, in society who knows maybe i'm wrong though i'm not a medical expert i'm not a mental health professional so don't take my advice um and speaking on mental health there is this story going around actually quite a few stories about different elderly people who have been using video games to keep their minds sharp like there was a 100 year old woman serious she's 100 years old she has a 3ds and it's brought her a lot of joy and it, she thinks it helps keep her mental capacities sharp. <clears throat> so that is very interesting. Um, I almost, this story almost made me more emotional than the VR story though, because there's an 87 year old woman who logged over 3,500 hours into her Nintendo um, playing Animal Crossing for the 3DS. And I don't know, I just, on the one hand, I think she's awesome, I think that's great, but then I f felt a bit sad because I figured that the main reason that she's been able to accumulate that many hours of gameplay in the game, and you know, if you know Animal Crossing, it's like a, a life simulator in a way, using cute animal characters. So you can go around, socialize with those animal characters, you have new neighbors move in, you can decorate your house or expand it and go fishing and start a garden. So you can basically live vicariously in this little animal neighborhood with these cute characters in the game. And I just feel like as an old, you know, when I get older, I would love to do that. I think that's, that would be better than the alternative of just sitting in the nursing home and, and rotting away. Um, so I think it's a great thing for older people. But I, there's an aspect where I feel kind of sad because I know that they're probably lonely and this is their kind of social outlet. There's a really, really beautiful video of this uh, of another older woman who starts crying when she receives a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, she probably felt so loved that, that her family upgraded her to the Switch. And, you know, now the new Animal Crossing is coming out next month, and I cannot wait. It's called Animal Crossing New Horizons. 
And uh, I'm definitely getting that day one when it comes out. I think it's March 20th. So really looking forward to that. I've actually been revisiting New Leaf on the 3DS quite a lot recently. And, oh, man, I've been falling, falling in love all over again with Animal Crossing. But uh, another video game series that I love, well, it's a love-hate relationship. But uh, we all know Sonic the Hedgehog. Of course, I'm, I'm staring at a pile of Sonic the Hedgehog comics as we speak. I have a Sonic the Hedgehog plushie in the corner, a Sonic the Hedgehog amiibo on my table. Uh, so uh, I'm no stranger to the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. I have been abused by this franchise for so long. Well, okay, now let me be fair. They have had some recent releases that have been quite good, like Sonic Mania, which is really a trip down memory lane, like a remix of Sonic's greatest hits. Um, great, great game. And I actually thought the Sonic Racing game was pretty good. I actually have a the Sonic Team Racing on a keychain of it on my keys that came with it for the pre-order. So, I mean, I'm really big into Sonic, you know. I, I, I try to check out every Sonic title as it comes out. But the, the racing game was great. The Sonic Mania was great. A few years ago, there was a game called Sonic Generations that was pretty good. However, let's be honest, when Sonic is bad... It's really bad. When the games are bad, they are awful. The funny thing is that when they're when they're bad, okay, this is the weird thing. Back in the day, you know, we would have video games and then we'd have video games based on movies. And the video games based on movies were never as polished as the actual, you know, video game franchises like Mario or even like Kirby, Metroid, you know, pick it, any of them. Just go down the list. Uh, you know, even if you're talking about Call of Duty or, or World of Warcraft, you know, those were built from the ground up as video game franchises. And you could tell. But when you played a game based on a, on a movie, you know, the, the controls would be a little clunky. The graphics would be kind of questionable. The gameplay was boring and repetitive and the, you know there would be all kinds of glitches where your character might fall through the wall suddenly or just you know you'd suddenly die in the game for no reason you know so video game uh, excuse me movie based video games kind of got this bad reputation over time and i don't know why sonic is not a movie or you know, TV show, whatever, it, it's not one of those kinds of franchises. Its roots are in video games. And yet, some of the games they have, like Sonic Forces, or God forbid, the Sonic the Hedgehog game from 2016 on PlayStation 3 and Xbox, that they're so bad. They feel worse than video games based on movies. Now, now nowadays, the, that reputation is starting to go away. Like, the Spider-Man game was awesome. There was recently that Star Wars game, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, that was pretty good. So, you know, they're putting more effort into those kinds of games based on pre-existing properties. But even now, <laughs> Sonic games sometimes feel like those really rushed, clunky, glitchy games that aren't, even, that aren't really games, you know? Now again, they've had some bright spots here and there. I'm just saying, the quality control has been all over the place for the past two decades with sonic and he's really been been running on fumes just kind of surviving off of the goodwill of the fans like me you know for a long time 
And uh, now there's this Sonic the Hedgehog movie coming out, which I have gone through so many phases <laughs> regarding this movie from being curious to being severely disappointed and revolted to being curious again and slightly optimistic to just being all out excited. I'm so excited for this movie to come out. And um, in my in my region, it's not coming out until the 21st. I think people living in the U.S. are going to get it on the 14th this month. So by the time you're listening to this, it's probably going to be in theaters in your area. But uh, I, I have to wait an extra week to see it. And I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it because, number one, you all probably already have seen the redesign of Sonic. It looks much better. But also, the actor for Dr. Eggman, a.k.a. Robotnik, is Jim Carrey. And he looks like he's back in classic Jim Carrey form from the 90s, like Liar Liar or The Grinch. You know, this is just dumb and dumber. This is just one of those really funny performances, it looks like. And I've seen interviews with Jim Carrey uh, about the movie. Now, as we all know, look, much love to Jim, but, you know, he's an interesting guy and um, kind of, we'll, we'll just say eccentric, you know, with nothing wrong with that. But, you know, he's um, he makes some questionable choices uh, the way he carries himself sometimes. However... I will say, in the interviews with him for this movie, the way that he talks about Dr. Eggman, it I'm really excited to see his take on Eggman. It sounds like he really took this role seriously, even though, you know, it's just a kid's movie based on a video game. But he's really getting into the mind of what makes Dr. Eggman tick. And he sounds really philosophical as he's waxing poetically about this role and about how Dr. Robotnik just wants to be loved because he didn't receive love as a kid and he has this high IQ so he thinks he's smarter than everybody else which makes him narcissistic and so he <laughs> you know which makes him into the person he is now and although he's not really a bad guy he's become a bad guy because of the way his upbringing which you know has created this perfect storm of his IQ so he's using technology to compensate for this love that he's never had I'm like what He's just going all out with this, which I think is great. And uh, I, I just want to see him as this character on the big screen. I want to see what he did with this role, because it sounds like he took it seriously. He said he played the video games with, I think, his his grandkid or something, um, or someone. <laughs> I don't know, but he played the games um, to get into the role, and it does look like he really thought long and hard about how to portray the character. And I, Now, here's the thing. If he was doing that kind of character study and he was taking the movie too seriously, though, like, if anybody else were saying those kinds of things about the character, I'd be worried, like, what? Oh, no. Is this going to be, like, the Super Mario Bros. movie where we have, like, this dark and gritty, like, neo-punk, you know, style? Like, I don't know. Like, this kind of Blade Runner thing? Like, I wouldn't want people to take it too seriously. But uh, obviously, if you watch the trailers, he's being goofy. Like like I said, classic Jim Carrey. So I'm happy that he's simultaneously taking it seriously like that. But he's also not taking it so seriously that he loses some of that kiddie comedic aspect of the character. So that's great. Also, I have been hearing some early reviews come in about the movie. And people are saying it's genuinely good. Like it's, I'm not hearing that it's movie of the year. It's no Parasite. <laughs> it's no Oscar winner. But... Uh, I'm hearing that for what it is, it's actually a good, decent film. And 
I guess maybe it's in the vein of the Detective Pikachu movie we got last year, which turned out to be, you know, it was a good movie. It was genuinely fun watch. I'm excited for Sonic because it's looking like it, it's the same thing. And I'm also happy because I've heard there are some emotional moments in the movie that sound really warm and, and wholesome, especially related to the character of Sonic. Apparently in the movie, I don't want to spoil it, but he has spent a lot of his life in solitude and he doesn't have a lot of friends before he meets, you know, if you've seen the trailer, you know, he comes into our world and he meets a cop and they, they form a friendship together. And so, I don't know, I, I, we'll have to wait and see, but just based on what I've heard, there are some of those, aww, kind of moments in the film. And I live for aww <laughs> moments, you know, maybe nothing too crazy, I don't want to be you know, a puddle of tears in the movie theater, but I, I am hoping that it pulls on the heartstrings in all the right ways, but still has that comedic, cartoony aspect to it. It doesn't lose that, which, again, it seems like it's doing that. It seems like it's it's balancing all those aspects very well. So, knock on wood, but my expectations are... I'm not, I'm not going to go crazy high, but my expectations are high for this movie i hope it meets them so we'll find out at least i'll find out in a week and report back on that but that's about all the news i have to talk about today these are just the headlines that i thought were interesting or that i had a opinion on that i wanted to share if you want to learn more just go to unitedsquid.com or follow us on social media we're available on every platform from twitter to facebook to you name it so that's all for now i will talk to you later